wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to Bleeding Daylight. Find us at bleedingdaylight.net, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Please share episodes with others and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. For many people, brokenness begins during childhood, and early trauma can lead to self-destructive behaviour that also harms those around them. That's the story of today's guest. This episode reveals the absolute transformation that he experienced. John Jarman is a professional fitness coach, former football coach and Marine Corps veteran of Desert Storm. His life was in a self-destructive downward spiral until he underwent a radical transformation. He tells of that transformation in his book, Broken and Redeemed. I'm so pleased that we'll have the opportunity to explore that turnaround on Bleeding Daylight today. John, thank you so much for your time. Rodney, thanks for having me. We know that childhood trauma is often a significant indicator of issues later in life. And I know that your childhood wasn't an easy one. Tell me about growing up for you. Well, growing up for me was was a a traumatic and very violent sight from the early age until about 12 years old. My dad was a very abusive alcoholic. I don't really have a lot of memory until 12. At age 12 is when I woke up one night and heard the beating again. I, I went down and pulled the knife out of the drawer that and told my dad if he didn't quit beating my mom, I would kill him. And he left that night. Then from then on, it was my mother and three brothers trying to, you know, just survive on a daily basis because, you know, as a single mom with four boys, it was, it was a tough situation. It does sound like a, a really tough time. And I had read before that you don't have a whole lot of memory before that 12 years of age. Have there been moments where where some of those incidents have, have come back or is it just one of those things where the mind is protecting you from some of the, the most difficult parts of that childhood? Yeah, I would have to say it's more of the protection. And when I was in counseling with Christine, I speak of one moment when we were when we were doing some memory recovery, but we ended up stopping it just because of the, and for lack of better terms, the demonic nature of what took place in her office. It says in the Bible that we are in a spiritual warfare. And, and I experienced that firsthand that day in her office. I do want to explore that a little more in a while. I want to move through parts of your life and and the things that you've done, because even in that introduction, and I only mentioned a few of the things that you've done, you've had quite an eventful life out of that. Even though times were difficult for you at that young age, obviously you, you turned things around to some degree. There was still that trauma, and we'll talk about how that was dealt with later, but you obviously got life sort of on track. Is is that right? Yeah. And, and you know, looking back when I when I got into counseling, I noticed that, you know, I had a self-destructive behavior and, and I would get things on track and then I would self-destruct on purpose because I didn't feel I was deserving of what I had earned. Um, and then I would relocate, start over and do the same thing again. And so I had that pattern. And uh, when I moved back home to the Pacific Northwest in the state of Washington, I saw that pattern coming and that's when I saw it out counseling and found Christina. And uh, we spent the next 10 years working on uh, 
getting me free of, of all those things in the past. What were some of those self-destructive behaviors that you were noticing within yourself? As a football coach, I would go and I would rebuild a you know high school football team, and then you know I would I would end up you know causing the the you know one of them was uh, infidelity with my wife, and you know it was a huge thing because you know as, as a high school coach, it ended up in the paper, and there was a lot of people that were affected by that, and you know that transgression really set me back and you know it was it was it was a sad time and and you know looking back on it now it was a very tough time with people that I hurt in that time and that must have been difficult for you too seeing that there was a behavior repeated in in the way that your father didn't know how to to treat his wife well and now you're starting to repeat that and i guess that would reinforce within you, oh, I'm, I'm never going to be good enough. That self-destructive behavior that you said would would continue to to fold in on itself, I would imagine. Yeah. I tell people that, uh, you know, there was no example for of, you know, what a relationship was or what love was, you know, in my, in my childhood. Now, later down the road, I did, a, I did make amends with my father and, and we had a truthful conversation and uh, we ended up having a good relationship up until he passed away in 2003. Tell me about your time in the Marine Corps because, again, that would be a, a different environment and a difficult environment for you. Yeah, I went in the Marine Corps because, um, you know, after high school, I, I, I didn't go right into the Marines. I went in when I was 23 years old. So I, it, there was time after high school. And, and the time after high school, all I did was, you know, back in the late 80s, it was doing drugs, selling drugs, partying. And one night I was at a party and I just kind of looked around and I said, there's got to be more to life than this. And I left the party. And two days later, I went into a Marine recruiting office and, and signed up for the Marine Corps to get out of there. You know, that probably saved my life because if I'd have stayed where I was, I probably would have been dead or in jail. Spent four and a half years in the Marines, was in during Desert Storm. You know, that's where I met my ex-wife. So, you know, there was good times, but there was also bad times. And, you know, there, I made a lot of mistakes throughout those four and a half years that I went to college and graduated from Ohio University with a master's in physical education and started my teaching in high school coaching career. So all this time, you're still dealing with a lot of these things that are going on and a lot of them that you can't even remember. So it must have been difficult initially to track down, why am I acting this way? Or was there an idea of, well, I at least know that my father was abusive and, and maybe that's it? Well, you know, I knew that I knew the abusive part of it, but Rodney, there was a, for, for a long, long time, I didn't think I was a victim. I thought I escaped it. It wasn't until I was working with Christina and, and really started looking at some of the things in my past and then, you know, the scars from stuff, that's when I realized that I, I was a victim. I have three huge scars on my left arm from a surgery that I was told that I had when I was eight months old and it was from osteomyelitis. I looked, researched it and found and looked to see what caused that. And the only thing that causes it is a compound fracture or a, a severe case of pneumonia. And so I started looking at the hospitals in and around Fort Smith, Arkansas, where I was born. And in 1964, there was only three. And none of those hospitals have records of me in the hospital. One of the hospitals I contacted said that their microfilm warehouse caught on fire and they lost half the records. So it could have been in there, but there was no evidence of me in any of the hospitals f f during that time. And so that kind of, you know, I started thinking what, what really happened. And then, you know, obviously with the memory of my dad and his, his abuse, you know, I thought, well, could it happen? Could it, could it have been something like that? 
I leave it alone. There was a part of me a long time that I really wanted to know what happened. But, you know, I just I left it alone because if God wants me to know what happened, he'll reveal it. Because I think the trauma, it would probably be harder to know what happened and, and overcome that than not know. Tell me about the rest of your family during this time. You mentioned your your brothers and your mother. How did they deal with all of this going forward? Well, each of us dealt with it a little bit differently. Um, you know, my mom probably never really forgave my dad. She, she was very bitter and, and, and resentful. And, and, you know, she talked down about my dad and, you know, my other brothers, we all dealt with it differently. It, it affected all of us in, in our lives. I mean, my oldest brother would never married seven years ago. He passed away. And my second oldest brother was married, divorced, had a second marriage, had one kid. Um, I mean, we all ended up in marriages, but all ended up in divorce. So that pattern was there. My youngest brother in his first uh, marriage had three kids. His second marriage, he had none. Um, and then his his wife passed away five years ago due to uh, kidney and liver failure from drug abuse and that type of stuff. So my, that's what killed my oldest brother. And so it's, you know, that pattern of getting addicted into drugs and that type of stuff was in all four of our lives. I'm sure that the book goes into a lot more detail of some of yes, the traumas sir. that you went through, and, and we would encourage people to, to read that book. But we're talking about a transformation as well. The, the book is not just yes. broken. It's, it's broken and redeemed. <laughs> and, and you've just touched on some of the, the help that you received. When was it that you realized, I need to get help? This is self-destructive and this cannot go on. What was that moment for you? Well, it was, it was probably around, let's say I moved back home in 2005 and it was, wasn't until about 2008 when I, or 2007, probably when I really realized the pattern and I saw it. And so I just, I, I was like, I got to get help. And so I Googled, you know, counseling in Tacoma, Washington. The first two counselors I called weren't taking patients. This, the third one was Christina and God's grace. Um, I found the right person you know, that for the next 10 years, we worked together to, to free me from all of this. You know, I'd been in counseling before because I went into counseling when, you know, when I was divorced and some other times, but it just didn't click. And, you know, I didn't see the pattern then. And so I'd have to say that, you know, that was a little touch looking back on it now, Rodney, I would say that, you know, it was the Holy Spirit kind of watching over me then, you know, it's, it's amazing to see when you get to a point in your faith walk, you know, you can look back on your life and see where, God and the Holy Spirit was protecting you, even though when you, even though you didn't know Christ or anything like that. And I imagine at that point, you're going to counselling because you're wanting to go along and saying, "Okay, these are some issues I have. Fix me and let me get on with my life." And yet, that's not what happened. You have this radical transformation. How did that begin to happen for you? With working with her, and, and, and I'll go back to that one day. I was in a session with Christina, and the two of us have a little bit different recollection of what took place. But for me, I was, it was a summer day here in, in Washington and I was kind of laying back on her couch. And then I felt two hands pressed on my chest where I could feel the actual fingertips of whatever this was. And, and I, you know, I'm a pretty big guy and I could not move, could not get up. Christina got me out of the memory recovery. When she told me what she experienced, she felt like the room expanded whatever spirit was present told her that if we kept going, it would take her. And at that time I was like, okay, I need to get some spiritual help. 
And I went to my church and I talked to my, one of the pastors and by the grace of God, I was able to meet my spiritual mentor, Scotty, and uh, he worked in the deliverance ministry. And then we spent the next you know, few years working on getting rid of my strongholds and, and the demonic issues that were in my life. We might be tempted to be a little bit cynical and think, well, if you're kind of under some sort of hypnosis or, or recovering memories, you can imagine things. But then you say your counsellor at this stage actually experienced something tangible in the room. There's no way back from that. There's a certain reality to something happened at that moment. And so you're wise to go and, and seek spiritual help. When you started to talk to this guy, Scotty, what was his impression of what was happening? He's worked in the de deliverance ministry before. He wasn't shocked by it at all. He said it definitely was a, a demonic presence. And then we started working on some prayer plans that that would you know, help me release the strongholds. And, you know, without going into a lot of details, it, it took a long time. And there were times during those prayer plan, uh, you know, as I was praying those in the morning that, you know, I would literally get up and throw up and have to come back to the, to the, to continue the prayer plan. And it was, it was a tough time going through all that. Now there's a certain language that you're using here. You're talking about something called deliverance for listeners who aren't quite sure what that might mean. Can you just give us a thumbnail sketch of what deliverance actually means in a spiritual sense? It's when you have a stronghold that's binding you, um, and it can be anything, and it's working through that to get that spirit out of you, basically. You know, I don't, I don't like to use the term possessed or anything like that because it, it's hard to explain. It's not like a possession. Um, they don't own you. It's just that there's a, there's a stronghold over you, um, and you have to work through that through prayer and, and meditation and that type of stuff. So you're certainly not saying that possession is not a real thing, but in this case, it was more a demonic oppression against you that was holding you back from actually being the person that you had been created to be. You're exactly right. Biblically, you know, when Jesus casted out the demons in, in some of the stories that, you know, in his ministry, it was basically that too, but not as dramatic, but it's definitely there. So you were given this prayer plan to, to pray through a range of things. What what sort of prayer plan was that? Help us understand what were the sorts of things, because they're obviously stirring up a lot. If if you're having to get halfway through this plan of, of prayers in the morning mm -hmm. and you're having to go to, to throw up and, and come back to it, there's obviously something real going on. Explain that to me. Part of it was just, you know, the shame and guilt that I carried from from the abuse and stuff. And, and it was releasing those strongholds, um, you know, there was the addiction. Um, and so when you start praying through about addiction and about the shame and guilt, that's when the, the stronghold or the demonic presence, you know, it fights. And that's the aspect of it. And you have to keep going and keep going until basically you cast it out of you. It is very real. I experienced it myself. And then I experienced it again with, with my oldest brother when he was in the hospital shortly before he passed away. As we start to understand what's going on here, we're not just talking about turning over a new leaf. And that's why we talk about being redeemed. We talk about mm -hmm. radical transformation. There's actually something real going on here. This is not a self-improvement plan. This is actually nope. really dealing with with a spiritual realm, which some people have difficulty understanding, and yet you know it's real because you've experienced all this. I tell people all the time it's it's something that the churches don't 
really preach about from the pulpit. It's very rare when you when you hear a pastor speaking about the demonic or, or the spiritual warfare to this extent, but it's real. In Ephesians, Paul tells us it's real. There's 47 times in the Bible that evil spirits are mentioned. It's definitely real, and we have to guard ourselves against it. As you continue to work through this process, we know that the whole journey of life is a process, and we're, we're constantly mm-hmm. trying to become more like Christ. But for you, when did you feel that most of this trauma that was behind you, most of this self-defeating and and self-damaging patterns that you had built up, that they were finally broken. How long did that actually take? It probably took three years. You know, as the prayer plans went, we we would get one and, you know, and then we'd start working on another. It was probably about three years. Uh, I owned a business. The business was struggling. My sister-in-law was in the hospital about to pass away. Um, I'd, I'd been in a relationship for four years with a very strong Christian woman, and we had a very biblical relationship. That broke up because her kids never really approved of the relationship, even though we prayed and prayed and prayed, and but they're, they're, they, didn't, they didn't change their mind. And so we, we ended up, you know, ending the relationship. And uh, November 16th of 2016 is when I, you know, fell on my knees and, and tearful prayer. I get, that's when I gave up complete control because I was a controlling person. I didn't want to give up the control. I wanted things on John's timing. You know, people used to say, it's God's timing, John. And I was like, nah, I want John's timing. That's the day where I really experienced the freedom, when I gave up the control and just let God take over. And that's very interesting to know that you're going through this process. You're starting to see things actually coming together little by little, but there's still something holding back. There's still that part of you, even though you know the reality of the spiritual realm, there's still a part of you that's holding back saying, no, I still want control. So then you finally say, okay, I hand over control. Was there anything that really happened immediately? Did you you feel a weight off your shoulders or did that just start the beginning of a new life? It was the beginning because that morning then I opened up the Bible and I started reading and I just opened the Bible. Where it landed was in Romans when Paul talks about wanting to do what's right, but he can't because of the sinful nature in in the flesh. And when I read that, I was like, okay, that makes sense. This is why I continue to do some of my old patterns. And then I flipped through to another chapter and it was first John and John talks about, you know, walking in the, you know, Jesus is a light. And if you walk in the light, or if you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and still walk in the darkness, then you, the truth is not in you. And I went, okay, that makes sense. That's when I, I went, I need to change my life and I need to start abiding by what the word says. And so that's when I made the change and I, and I decided I started a weekly Bible study. I started, you know, the daily prayer and reading so that I could understand what my identity was in Christ. It's wonderful to hear that you eventually mended fences with your father and you were able to to have a good relationship with him further down the track. But I'm wondering, did that relationship, that early relationship with your father being as hard as it was, did that ever figure into your thinking about your heavenly father? Did that make it more difficult for you to trust your heavenly father? That's a good question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, and and sitting here thinking about that, I would say that it probably did in my early walk because, you know, I had a trust issue completely. You know, I never let really anybody truly in to know who I truly was. 
And so it probably did. And I imagine as you talk about that trust issue, that's probably why you weren't keen to hand everything over to God for a while because you you, you had learned that when you hand things over to other people or when you let other people have control, you end up getting hurt. How difficult was it to to then give that up and then start to realise that you did have a heavenly father who wasn't going to hurt you in that process, who was going to go for the best things in life for you? Well, on that morning, I have to say, Rodney, it wasn't too difficult to give up the control because I was at a point in my life where, I hate to use the term, but the rock bottom, you know, there was only one thing for me to do. And, and that was to fall on my knees and look up. You know, I had no no other alternative than to to turn it over all to, to our Heavenly Father. As I grew on, after that point, then it was it was easy to see God's hand in my life and what he was doing and and being able to accept the path that he was putting me on. So you had had a period of counseling with Christina and that drew you to the point of realizing that there was things that she could help you with, but there were other things such as the spiritual side of things that she couldn't. And so you're you're working alongside Scotty and and he's being able to provide prayer plans and, and all the rest and lead you towards that moment of deliverance. And now you've come to that point in yourself of saying, that's it. I've had enough of trying to control it. It's still not working. You've handed over control. What was the next process for you? How did life progress at that stage? It became, as I said, a daily prayer and reading time. I spent a lot of time in the mornings before I go to work. I spent about an hour to an hour and a half in the word and prayer um, each and every morning. And so that keeps me grounded um, and it keeps me in contact, you know, that relationship with with our Heavenly Father. As I was working through this and my faith started to increase, my curiosity to get deeper into the Word came. I started hearing from the Spirit and I talked to Scotty. I said, look, I want to I want to go to seminary school. I want to I want to learn more about the Word. And so I enrolled in Faith Seminary here in Tacoma. I got about eight hours to finish for my master's of theology. And that was the game changer because I started to understand the word better. Um, I started to see things that were taking place in my life that there was no way it was anything but the Holy Spirit working in my life. It's amazing to hear this story and then for you to decide this is a story that should be told. When was it that you decided, (laughs) I need to start creating a book? Well, I have to give Christina credit for that because she told me that I should write a book about my story. And and Rodney, to be honest, when she told me, I laughed at her. I was like, my story's not that interesting. I told a few friends and then I told them a little bit about the story. They were like, yeah, you need to write a book. I'm a PE teacher, a Marine, and I have dyslexia. And I'm like, it's going to be kind of hard for me to write a book. (laughs) And, uh, so I sought out a ghostwriter at first, and I met a young lady that was at my church, and, and she was an author. And so she helped me outline the book, and we started writing in it. It was about five chapters in. I just didn't feel like I could finish the book. and it's, so, the, so I put the zip drive up on a counter, and it sat there until a year ago this month. Then the Spirit prompted me to finish the book, and so I was getting ready to go on a trip to Florida, And so I promised myself I'd write two hours a day while I was on vacation. And then I kept that commitment when I came back home. I finished the book in just four weeks. And so it was an amazing time and just super healing. And the spirit was involved in it the whole way. 
And what is your sense of the, the purpose behind the book? Obviously, it's helpful for you to be able to tell that story, to put it down on paper, but you must have a, a purpose behind that for those who read it. What's your hope for them? My hope is that, that if you're a believer, it, it deepens your faith. If you don't know Christ, that it opens up something in your heart that you'll the, you'll accept Christ. And, you know, that's that's the biggest thing. I think if, if I could bring just one person to Christ because of the book, then it's worth it. You know, the purpose of the book, I think, is twofold. I think Christina wanted me to write it for the healing aspect of it, which definitely took place. Um, and I think that was her purpose for it. But as I started writing it and then, you know, it became more and more of a faith-based book, there's a message for the book. And, and I think only God knows what, what's going to happen with it. And I'm ready to do what, whatever he take, wherever he takes me or whatever he says for me to do. I'm ready for that. And, and, and I'm just going to trust him. The book is on pre-release at the moment, but I'm sure that there's been a select few that have had the opportunity to, to read through it. What's their responses been? All favorable, uh, you know, and, and I told told one of my best friends because there's been about I would say probably 50 people that have that have read the manuscript, and I haven't had a bad review yet. And you know, I said it's going to come eventually, but it's just truly amazing the impact. And I'll, I'll share this story. One of my friends, who's on my book launch team, she got the email that had the manuscript in it, and she was getting ready to get in the shower, and she had turned the shower on, and she her phone beeped, and she saw the email with the manuscript. So she goes, "I'm going to read a couple pages." And then she said an hour later, she realized that she was sitting on the floor and the shower was still running. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, and I told, I told Michelle that I'm going to share that story forever because it, it was a, that captivating of a story for her. Um, even my editor, when she, when she first read the manuscript. So I have reflection dis, or discussion questions at the end of every chapter. And so I wanted you to have to look inside yourself. She was saying that, you know, she didn't feel that the questions at the end of the chapter, she felt it broke up the story because the story was captivating enough to where she just wanted to continue to read and she didn't want to have to answer the questions. And so, you know, for your listeners who get the book, you don't have to answer the questions as you go along. You can come back to them. But I would encourage you, whatever way you do it, I would encourage you to do the questions and and, and really dig deep inside yourself because I think that that's the, the key to help you heal and help you deepen your faith. As we fast forward back from what you went through and the process of healing and of redemption and of deliverance, what does life look like for you now? It's amazing. Rodney, and I, and I say this truthfully, I don't worry about anything. I pray every day and I just let God take the wheels every day and I ask him to renew my mind every morning. Whatever path he's going to take me because of this book, I'm, I'm ready to go. And that's basically what this book is. Um, you know, I heard the spirit and I responded and this is God's will for me. And I think that's, it's going to be a very joyful ride, I believe. When we look at the John Jarman now, a man who doesn't have to worry about anything, is led by the spirit of God and life is a whole lot better. What would that John Jarman say to the 12-year-old John Jarman? <laughs> okay, that, that I love that question, Rodney, because the last chapter of my book is called Dear Younger Me. And if your listeners know who Mercy Me is, that, that was actually one of their songs where, where Bart was inspired to write a song to his son as if he was writing it to his younger self. And that song really spoke to me, and that's why I used it to finish the book. And, uh, you know, there's things that I would change. And I actually wrote a letter to my younger self, so it's in the book. 
um, the answer to your question. But there's certain things I probably would tell myself to change. There's certain things that I wouldn't because some of the things that I went through, I went through for this purpose. Um, and, and that's a thing, you know, to your listeners, I would say is, you know, no matter how broken you are, no matter what you're going through, once you place your full trust in God, something good's going to come from, from that, whatever it was. Because it even says in the Bible, we go through trials so that we can comfort others who are going through trials. And, you know, I truly believe that. We're talking about the book Broken and Redeemed by my guest today, John Jarman. It's available currently on pre-release on Amazon, wherever you are, so you can get your order in and then wait for that volume to arrive and be able to be captivated by that story, just as we've heard one of John's friends was. John, if people are wanting to get in touch with you in the meantime and, and find you online, what's the best place for them to go? I have a website. It's uh, brokenandredeemed.com. There's a Broken and Redeemed Facebook page. And then uh, my Instagram is John underscore Broken and Redeemed, any of those avenues. And, and your listeners could actually, if they want the book and they don't want to wait till August, they can order it off my website and I can ship it to them. John, I will put links to your website and to other places where people can find you as well as the the link to Amazon to be able to grab the book in the show notes. But I need to say, John, thank you so much for sharing some of your story with us today. I know that listeners are going to love grabbing hold of that book and, and reading that story, going deeper into the story that we've discussed today. Thank you so much for your time. Rodney, I can't, I'm very humbled and I, I truly appreciate you having me on your show. It's, it's, been, it's been an awesome conversation. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.